Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Yeah, my name's Carrie. Hi, I've been here once before. Um, here's what's so awesome, that I was up here doing an event. Some of you came on Friday night in another area, in another church. And this is the first time in, I mean, I've been preaching a long time. I know you guys are surprised by that because of how young I am. Um, but I've been preaching a long time, like 24 years I've been preaching. And, um, and this is the first time ever I called up a church and was like, hey, can I come back to your church? <laughs> I literally, I literally, I, I, that's how good it is here. And not that I'm so good, but I'm going to be honest, I like my bed. And I like my kids sometimes, and I like my husband. So to be away from them is a lot. I do that a lot. And to be away from them an extra day is I, I always, like, weigh that, like, really, like, God, where you want to go. But I just was like, I got to go back to this church. And I'm sitting down here. I don't have a lot of time, so I, I, there's so much I want to say. But I'm just sitting down here in the front row, and I'm just, like, in tears because uh, I know the guys are like, oh, my gosh, is she going to cry? Like, she's a woman pastor. Is she going to cry? Look, it's beautiful when I cry, Okay. But, but I don't cry very much, but, but I just am in tears because I know, I know the legacy and the, the history of where your pastors come from. And I know what God has done. And if you are here for even the first time or you've been coming a long time, it, there's kindredness in this place where, where you're, I come in here and I'm like, man, God uses the most misfit people to change the world. And, and it's just so beautiful to be in the presence of this. And I love that your pastor will say, hey, I am, I am the first and foremost of the misfits, you know. And God just is like, yeah, you, you. And so when I walk in here, I'm like, oh, I am at home. <laughs> Um, I do have I do have a message for you this morning, and and I am you know a recovering um, a Southern Baptist tent revival preacher, and so I got thirty minutes. Uh, we camped for four days, so uh, that's how my grandpa preached. You were in for four. I would get saved every time just to shut him up. Um, you know, I would just walk up. You got me again. You got me again, Grandpa. Um, so I, I got a little bit of time uh, to share with you. If someone could just tell me where that clock is, is there like a time clock? Oh, it's right there. Okay. 9.59. It's not moving, though. <laughs> Which I'm fine with. So, okay. Let's get started. Let me just pray. Let's just set our hearts to receive from God this morning. Um, God, we know that you are already here. You, hear, you are here because you indwell us, God. For those that are here, God, that have not made a, a commitment and said, I want you to be Lord over their life. Lord, would you just let them know right now that they belong here, even if they don't believe that you do want to speak to their heart, that you love them right where they are, that they have been seen since the day they were little, that they have been prayed over and thought about and pursued, and that they came into these doors today, all of us, God, expectant. And so we ask, God, that you would just speak this morning. Speak through me, God. Let me kind of fall to the back and let you, God, just come to the front. Whatever your heart is, God, let it come through today. In Jesus' name, amen. I was skiing the other day, by the other day, I mean a few years ago, and um, last time, first time, and uh, I, got, I got there and was like, oh, cool, we're going to ski. And anybody skiers in this room? Y'all are rich because that's a, so you should be tithing more because... I went to ski. I was like, what, how much? Like, oh, I'm sorry. This is a rich person's sport. 
Um, so I, I showed up, and you got all the gear and whatever, and, and I'm with my dad, and my dad's a really avid skier, super good at it, and um, he's like, all right, you know, there's, there's you, you got to learn on the bunny hills, and I was like, bunny hill, like, I, what's that hill? He's like, oh, that's the double black diamond. We won't get to that today, and you need to know something about me that if you're going to tell me I cannot do something, I will be doing it. And I was like, oh, no, that black diamond and I will have words today. We will hang out today. And he was like, let's start Bunny Hill. So I'm like pizza, French fry, pizza, French fry all day long. I'm a skier. I don't know. That's ski language. Um, so I'm learning how to pizza and French fry. And, and my, my dad is with my, uh, I, he had brought a, I had brought a couple of my friends. So he's teaching my friend Jennifer and they're doing some stuff. And I'm like, I'm ready to go um, on the double black diamond. And he was like, you've been on the Bunny Hill. It's the... It, it, it's a slow learn. And I'm like, no, no, I'll go on my own. So he was like, fine, I'll see you in heaven. Just bye. Um, also, he raised me. So he's like, look, if, if you didn't die by all the things you already done, this black diamond ain't taking you out. Like, so, so I go up by myself and I get on the gondola situation and, and I'm going up and it's like, you know, it's getting lightheaded because it's like kind of getting, there's not a lot of oxygen up where I'm going. It's a foggy and you can't see anything anymore. I was like, Jesus, where am I going? I get all the way, and I'm up by myself, and I, I talk to myself all the time, like out loud. I'm the worst to go to movies with. Don't hang out with extroverts and go to movies. I'm like, what are they doing? I don't even know what's happening. So I'm talking on the gondola. I'm like, oh, hey, wow, look at that. Look at that. So I goes, I can't I see the top of trees now. Okay, okay. I get up to the top, you get off, and you know, that's a whole thing. That's a whole illustration, just getting off the gondola. I could preach about that, like literally how life will just hit you in the back. And so I get off and come around. And at first it's like a little bit of like a slow, slow grade. And, and I'm thinking, okay, uh, you know, just pizza, french fry. And, and so I'm like, you know, kind of going to the side and going around. And in my brain, I'm like, you got this, you got this. And going down. And then all of a sudden, it's just like drops. And it drops down. And what was like pizza? I'm like trying to pizza. It just went straight french fry. I was like, it was going for it. Like barreling down the mountain just like this. Uh, I, like ski stance, like going, and you know, I'm freaking out inside, but I gotta get, keep it together, you know. So in my head, I'm just, I think that I'm saying, no fear, no fear, just going down the mountain. And, and I go past my dad and Jennifer standing on the side, and they're just like, <laughs> and I don't remember this, but he said after I talked to him at the end, I mean, I lived, but after I talked to him at the end, he's like. Yeah, you, we just heard something screaming coming down the mountain. And I go back and I'm yelling out, no fear, no fear, <laughs> just yelling down. And there's these things called uh, moguls. I don't know what that is, but um, it's, like for, it's like the Olympics. They're jumps and you hit them, but they're white because it's just, it's just snow bumps. I don't, they call it moguls like it's fancy, but I'm like, it's just a bump in the snow. But you hit that thing, and, you know, professional skiers, they want to hit it. They want to hit it, and like, in the air or whatever, I hit it. And I went up, and what was supposed to be all sick looking was like, ah, you know, ah, in the air. And I'm like, there's no, there's, there's no way I'm making it out of this alive. And I'm like, oh, here, you know, going there. I go and land. And as I land, you know, for those ladies in the room, like when you played with your Barbies and the legs just like popped off. This was like, there went one ski, there went the other ski. I'm rolling down. I have 
snow just shoved in my face. You know, and I actually didn't break one single thing. I'm like Elastigirl. I don't break one single thing. But I was humiliated, first of all. And like, no fear. Everyone's like, you should have some fear. There's certain things in life you should fear. This is one of them. And I, you know, I end this whole thing and I get done. And I was like, all I know is I did the double black diamond. I feel good about myself. I feel like I can say that now. You know, but I'm done, you know. And the funny thing is, you know, I'm done skiing. And I, I'm a ski, I skied. But I, but I didn't like become a skier. Like, just because I went down a double black diamond didn't make me a skier. It didn't make me, you know, the, this professional skier. It just, I went down a mountain barely because of sheer gravity. <laughs> uh, it didn't actually make me a skier. And, you know, I, there's this, like, kind of this thing in Christian community and culture. For those of you that aren't, um, you know, a part of that, God bless you. Because it's, just, it's so much better just to just be you and love Jesus and, and not get some, caught up in some of our weird stuff. But, but there's this thing like, like you know, we're going to kill it for the kingdom. Now, I, I get it. But it's a little aggressive. But I get it. You know, I'm killing it for the kingdom. You're like, okay, it's cool. It's cool. Like, but, and this idea, and I get where it comes from because, trust me, I am a kind of kill it for the kingdom kind of girl. Like, I, I, I'm just like trying to, I'm always trying to go. Yet I started to kind of navigate the scriptures of God's word and, and started to kind of sit in this idea of like, what does it really mean to kill it for the kingdom? What does it really mean to have like grit? You know, what does it really mean to have like this tenacity and this go? And I, I think there's something so beautiful about it. And we all have it. We all have an area in our life that we want to we wanna go, we want to we do, we want to we become. And I think that's really good, but I think it can also become a real problem. And I want to kind of talk about that a little bit today. And we're going to find ourselves in Acts chapter 16. If you brought your Bible, you should have your Bible. Let me tell you something about this beautiful Bible. It's so good. It's going to be life to your bones. I know that some of you have it on your apps. It's not spiritual. It's not. <laughs> Smell the pages. I don't know. I'm really weird about the Bible. But I got a new Bible. I'm not really into the flowers. I'm like, don't put flowers on the word of God. It's just. But I like this translation, so I'm into it. Uh, we're going to find ourselves in Acts chapter 16. And, and I just want to pick up, just let you know, there's a guy named Paul. He, he runs around in the Bible. He's, he's the knucklehead, uh, misfit, crazy, mean, actually, uh, terrible person. God got a hold of him and transformed his life. And then he went around and he was crazy, knucklehead, not mean, but still crazy, but now just for Jesus. Um, and so, so Paul's whole mission now is to go around and tell everybody about Jesus. He's just like compelled by it. He'll go anywhere. And he wants to go into Asia. God says no. Asia's where there's going to be a lot of influence. He wants to go there. God says no. He wants to go to some other places. God says no. And he finally sends him a vision and says, look, I want you to go to this place called Macedonia and uh, in the city of Philippi. I want you to go there. And he's like, all right, I'll go there. There's no Jewish uh, in, um, community in Philippi. In fact, it only takes 10 guys to make a synagogue. There's not even a synagogue anywhere in Philippi. There's not even 10 Jewish people. So you're like, oh, he's like, all right. So he gets set up. He gets in there, him and his buddies, Paul, and they get set up. And on Saturday, which is the Sabbath, they uh, know that if there's any Jewish followers, they're going to be out by the water, outside by the city, because there's some cleansing rituals that need to happen, and they're going to be at prayer at Sabbath. So he's going to go down to the water, and uh, sure enough, he goes down there, and he sees some people. He sees no men, as far as we know, but he sees a few women. And this is where we uh, find ourselves on chapter uh, 6, uh, sorry, uh, chapter 16, verse 13. So on the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate, this is Paul talking, uh, by the river, and we were expected 
to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. In verse 14, I want you to hear every word. This is why scripture is so important. That's why you should read scripture. I don't care about what I say. Read scripture because it will come alive. It will make change your life. Okay, so a God-fearing woman, a man sitting there named Lydia. She's a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, and she's listening to Paul. And then the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. And after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come, Paul, stay at my house. And she persuaded us, and Paul ended up staying the remainders of his day there in Philippi in Lydia's house. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Lydia. She's only featured here, a couple scripture, a couple of sentences here in scripture. But this woman is gritty. You see, she didn't start out in Thyatira. She started out uh, 350, uh, she started out in Thyatira, but she didn't start out in Philippi. She lived 350 miles away. And in Thyatira, this is where they would make really expensive purple cloths. She's almost like your modern day, like high-end fashion blogger, you know. Uh, she, she made really expensive, her family made probably really expensive clothing. Um, they had this purple shell that they would draw the dye out and they would uh, make it for clothes and give it to very very, very high influential people. So she has this marketed business. Now we know in Thyatira that there's a pretty big Jewish community there. So we know that she must have heard about it because she is God-fearing, but she's a Gentile and we know for sure that Gentiles in that area were pagan worshipers. We don't know what they worshiped, but they were usually um, not monotheistic. They weren't for one God. They were for many gods. So we know this is kind of her background. We don't know all about it, but we know this is kind of about it. And that's important to know because it takes a lot of to follow God or to know about God when there's a huge anti-Semitic uh, against Jewish people, period. Not only that, but she's Gentile and she's a woman. So this woman is now creating, she like looks at her parents and is like, look, I think I need to go to Philippi. I'm trying to kill the game. I'm going to go bring all my business to Philippi. I'm going to start this business. And I don't even know if you and I agree on this whole, like, God thing, but I, I'm kind of into this Jewish God. So she travels, remember, 350 miles for us in a car, no big deal. For her, it's a long trek. So she goes all the way to Philippi, sets up this business. We don't know if she's widowed or not. Most theologians believe that she's widowed. But we do know this. She has incredible influence. She has a thriving business. She is giving all of the stuff that she has to the most wealthy and influential she's making for them. She has a household that she rules over. This is unheard of in this time. Now she's down at the water. Here she is following this God. It says she's God-fearing. And as she's at the water doing religious, uh, religious um, ritualistic practices, Paul shows up. See, she had no idea that this day was going to change the course of her entire life. She had a plan. She was gritty. She knew what to do. She was killing it. In the world's eyes, she was all that. She had it all together. In fact, most women were like, if I could just be like Lydia, you know. I mean, she's killing it. She's doing it without a man, you know. Uh, like, how did she do that? <laughs> and, 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 you know, I mean, you got to think about it like that because most women, they were like under, which, is, which was just their culture. But for her, somehow she broke free of all that. And, and she was able to, to stand on her own and, and rule over her household. And so on this day. Paul shows up. 
Paul doesn't know that it's going to be a woman, and it's a whole thing to get into. I don't have time, but the vision that he got to go to Macedonia was that he would meet a man. I wonder if Jesus gave him that vision because even Paul would have been struck by the fact that God was leading him to a woman to rise up an army in Philippi. And, and so then he goes and sits and talks to this woman. And I want you to hear something here because as she is God-fearing, she is not transformed. So she knows of God. She believes in a God. She is God-fearing, but God has not yet opened her heart, which is a supernatural act for her to receive the saving power of Jesus Christ. Church, can I just say for just a moment, not to offend any of you there, but I think some of us show up to church so much, check boxes, and we're God-fearing, but we don't have transformation that lives inside of us. We just don't know him yet. We know of him. We think he's good, maybe, but we're not transformed yet. You see, I think the problem, friends, is that we rely so much on our grit, so much on our religion, but it has not met the power of grace. And let me tell you that grit without grace will never have the impact that you want it to have, ever. And I think there's so many people, right? And again, I do this too. Because I can grip my way like the best of them. I become very self-sufficient in my own abilities and my own powers all the time. But let me tell you, when I get real gritty, I know. Because I become overwhelmed. I become burdened. I become lost. I become controlling. And God goes, Carrie, you actually have been transformed. You have access to my grace. And that's truly what I want to talk to you about. Because I think the church is losing it a little bit, friends, when we say, I want to kill it for the kingdom. But we have really become self-sufficient and prideful in our own abilities. I'm looking at Lydia and I'm like, Lydia was killing it. By all tents and purposes, Lydia, by the world's eyes, was at the top. But God was like, oh, I have so much more for you, Lydia. You see, I have designed something. When God says, I am faithful to begin the work, that, uh, to, to complete the work that I've begun in you, he had already begun it in her in Thyatira, but he didn't even know. She didn't even know that in Philippi, it was going to come to completion. Because it wasn't about her being the marketer that she needed to be. It wasn't about her climbing the corporate ladder like she needed to climb. What it was, was a transformation supernaturally of God opening her heart. Then Paul comes in Lizard House. Do you know that she is the first convert in Europe, all of Europe, Lydia? Did you know that in that house, Paul trained her and the church of Philippi began in her house? So all of Europe is now going to be transformed by the remarkable power of Jesus Christ. Not because of Lydia's grit, but because of Lydia's grit meeting God's grace and coming together. This is the power of God. So grit on its own is self-sufficiency, friends. And self-sufficiency at its core sense is pride. And I think that we can religify. Like, I don't think that's a word, but I, you get it. <laughs> I think we can make something that we're doing for God look so spiritual that the fragile places of our heart, the hard places of our heart, are not being transformed. The hurtful places, the, the brokenness in our marriage and the, the brokenness in our home and the brokenness in our own heart and lives, we just go, nope, just power through, serve more. Here we go. I'm going to check a box. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do what I need to do because I'm God-fearing and God's going, I don't care about any of that. I want to come in and transform you with my grace. 
And I think we mistake grace and mercy. You see, mercy is like, oh, it's by God's grace I lived another day. No, that's God's mercy. You only live another day, let you have another breath because of his mercy. But God's grace, hear me, friends, God's grace is a gift to you that gives you access to the power of God. That is what God's grace is. And I think we minimize grace. Grace is huge. We sing it in a song, but, it, but we don't understand. Like, we have access to grace, which gives us access to the power of God. So Lydia was at the top of her game, but it wasn't until God's grace entered in that she now became an influencer in the world, and her name is written down in the most holy of scriptures. This is impact. I want to be Lydia, you know? And, and, and I look around, and I just think, we're, we're getting it wrong. We're getting it wrong because we're, we're looking so much to what we do for the kingdom and not allowing God to come in and let him do in us to transform us really quickly. The result of God's grace in our life. I just want to read something to you in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, or 5 and 7. What does God say about pride? I just want to sit in this for a second. And please, I know that I'm on this little stage here, but um, I, I should be down here below because the playing field is even. As I speak every word that I speak, it comes from real places inside of me. So don't think that for one, one minute that you've come into a church where I've somehow arrived and you need to get on my level. That's not That's not. If you go to a church like that, it's not this place, I know that. But if you've ever gone to a church, you just run out. Because the reality is, is that there is nobody in this room that's arrived. There's nobody crushing it. That's just a, a Photoshop picture on Instagram. It's not real. Wouldn't it be great on Christmas if we did a real Christmas picture? All boogers and not matching in my pajamas. You know, like, this is real. Merry Christmas. You know. That, I would feel good. I will double-click that all day. But, you know, I'm not, it's cute. I love you guys when you do cute little pictures. But we know it ain't real. Um, the reality is, is that I'm here, you're here, we're all just trying to, to, to be more transformed, to allow God. And, and I just want to break a lie off today that says that you got to show up. you got to show up and do more. You got to show up better. You got to show up put together. You got to show up. God is telling you right now, that is not me. That is not what my word is for you. In fact, he says, God resists the proud. And actually, the, the Greek word of that is to resist, is to push away. God is like, I, I, don't, I can't have any part of that. I can't have any part of your pride. And it's not because I don't love you. It's because it's an intimacy blocker and a freedom blocker between me and you. It is I who needs to be Lord over that situation. It is I that needs to be Lord over your ministry and over your marriage. You want your marriage to get better? You walk in in pride if you think Jesus doesn't have any need to have any part of it. We pray like, Lord, just fix it, but I'm going to take care of it here. But God's like, look, you don't even have enough power within you to heal what is happening here. I do. So when God says that he resists the proud, but he gives grace, and we learn grace is not mercy. Grace is power, access to power, and he gives it to the humble. So just a couple things. God gives us access to God's power when we humble ourselves 
humility is a place of surrender. It's a place that says, I have come to the end of myself. And everybody in this room, whether your story looks like mine or not, you have come to the end of yourself. It is up to you to acknowledge it or not. It's up to you to bring it before the Lord or not. I, I think society, we, we teach, stuff it, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and just keep going in the name of Jesus. I, I, you know, you, many of you know my story. I was uh, an addict for almost 10 years. I then got married out of addiction, didn't deal with why I did drugs in the first place. I just thought, I know what I'll do. I'll do ministry, and that'll heal me. Um, Nope. <laughs> uh, if anything, that probably added more fuel to the fire because of the performance aspects of that. Of just showing up with the mask on, that's all I witnessed my whole life was my mom and my dad who loved God but were extremely broken and all we knew was to perform. So I got up every Sunday and performed really well. I can perform, but there was no transformation. I was just barreling down a mountain. There was, I, I wasn't changed. I knew God. I was God-fearing, but I was not transformed. God was not Lord over my life. It's so funny because as God began to do that transformation from complete brokenness, I got nothing left. I had no fight left in me. He's like, okay, good. Now I can fight for you. And I started to begin to transform, and God asked me to step into ministry and uh, back into ministry, which I thought I would never do. I mean, I was like, I don't need to do that. You know, I'm good. You and I are good. We got a good thing going here. And he was like, okay, you got a secret now. Before you had secrets that brought destruction, now you have secrets that change lives. Would you be willing to get up? And I said no. And then he just kept asking. And then I became compelled because I started to see so many people in the church and outside of the church believing a lie about my king and my savior, that somehow they had to power through, that they couldn't be honest about the hard places of their hearts and their lives. And I was like, this is not true. And he goes, yeah, that's why I'm asking you to get up. Fine. I'm reluctant, man. I'm such a reluctant front runner. I love, I love being here, but I'm reluctant because I know, I know the reality of my, my wayward heart. I know the reality of what I sit in on a daily basis of, God, I want to serve you. But, man, my flesh is strong today. I pray before God. And I, I just I tell you all that story because two years into the ministry, things are actually going well. And, man, let me tell you, I became really self-sufficient. There I was back in another addiction. But the addiction was just self-sufficiency and pride. It brought me to my knees. I said, I don't want to do this anymore, God. I, I, I feel done. I, I feel like I'm fighting my way through molasses. And I just, I, I feel like I'm paving new paths. And I, I started to get really prideful about how much I'm doing. I'm doing so much for you, God. And now my husband loses his job. How dare you, God? I mean, I tithe. I give to the benevolent fund. You know? I mean, that's above and beyond. You know, I helped with the building fund. And you're going to take my husband's job away. You're, you're now going to, some of my friendships that were involved in the ministry were, were absolutely falling apart. And my life was just feeling like I was back in shambles. And he said, Carrie, because you are not tapping into the access of grace. You are just gritting your way through. He's like, I didn't, I didn't make this for you. You got it wrong, sis. And I'm like, it was like a light bulb came on because fear and control were overwhelming me. And I was ready to give it all up. Some of that's the enemy. We won't get into that today. But... As God begins to speak to my heart, he says, Carrie, I resist the proud. I, 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 in resisting, I push away, but it's not because I want to push away. It's because pride keeps me from you. 
God came for two reasons, friend. Two reasons. He came for intimacy with you and for your freedom. If it is ever anything more than that, it is man-made and it's religion. God came for intimacy with you and freedom. And out of those two things, he gets the glory. And God loves the glory. And he should get it. He created the universe. He created your body. And, and that is why he came. So as I press in and I say, okay, God, what do I need to do? He said, Carrie, a humility, which sounds like, okay, God, I'm so humble right now. You know, that's not what it is. I had a friend the other day, she said, we were, she was upset with me about something, and uh, she said, well, I'm the most humble person you'll ever meet. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> I feel like just in you saying that <laughs> is further letting me know why we're going to need to have some space. <laughs> God love her. She needs more Jesus. <laughs> but, but people ask me all the time, you know, you do these messages, Carrie. You know, you get up and you're all fired up and, and I hear all the time what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to be, but I feel like nobody ever tells me how. And I'm going to tell you how right now because it's really not my words. Jesus tells us we just don't really like the how because the how means we have to surrender control and we like to control because we think by controlling we become more spiritual. We're seen as great and really we're broken inside. We're just hurting God says here in the scriptures, verse 6 of of, uh, 1 Peter 5, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Not even together, not even over, but under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you. Everyone say exalt. Exalt you. Ooh, we love that word, huh? Oh, I want to be exalted. I want to rise up. I I can't tell you how many conferences I've done. Our theme this year, I'm like, let me guess, rise up. They're like, yeah, how'd you know? I'm like, I just guest. It's a theme that God has going. It's actually a theme, and I believe it's a beautiful theme. But he says, I give grace to the humble. Then, after you've surrendered under the mighty hand, then I will exalt you. We'll like that. We like, I want to be God-fearing and exalted. We like that. We want that, but God's like, look, let me tell you something. Within your own power, your limit, your limits are so small. They're so little. Your impact will never be the kind of impact you want to have. You want to have a ministry that kills it for the kingdom? Get on your knees. You want to have a marriage that lasts the, 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 the test of time? Get on your knees. You want to have kids that rise up and know Jesus? Come on now, get on your knees. And that's just the reality of our faith. And I know there are some people in this room right now, because I can feel it, that are like, "Mm." I don't know. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to go there. If I give this up, what is God going to do? What's he going to make me? You see, the reality is I'm really comfortable with this pride. I don't like to call it pride. I like to call it, you know, I'm killing it for the kingdom. But really, it's pride. And the reality is, is God is saying, look, I want to manifest my power within you. I want you to be an overcomer. I want to exalt you above and beyond your circumstance. So when something bad happens, because y'all, we know, we can say all day long, God is good, but Life is hard. So we want to be exalted. You want to have supernatural power. You want to experience God in the biggest of realms. And let me tell you, 
It is through humility that you need to come in. It's through humility that God is saying, I want you to be honest. What do you need today? What areas of your life today? And, and, and just, you know, just between me and you, nobody's listening. Just between me and you, what areas of your life are you holding on to? Because it's so fearful that if you open this up, what will come out? The floodgates of pain, the hurt. You're looking at your spouse and you're going, I just don't think I love her anymore. I just don't think I love him anymore. Yet you and I both know that what you're looking at in the privacy of your own time, what you're dwelling on and what you're thinking on is the traumas from your hurts, and maybe you're not even fully aware of them, but they are a blocker to your intimacy and relationships with God. So my question to you today, what is it that's keeping you from God? Are you gritting your way through? Are you just barreling down a mountain hoping that you don't die, hoping that when you get to the end, you won't be so broken? And God is saying, that's not the life that I have for you. I want to actually transform you, make you into the person I have always known you were. You see, he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. So although that beginning might have started when you were a little boy and you just lost your way, God is not finished with you. God has begun it, and he will be faithful to complete it. But it is through our honesty that's what brings about humility. Humility doesn't come in a mindset. Humility comes in an honesty of the realness of the state of our heart. Lydia knew when she met Paul, this is what I've been searching for my whole life. This is what I've wanted my whole life. And I think there's some of you in this room today, you've shown up faithfully. You've been here, you are God-fearing, but you have not been transformed. You see, according to the scriptures, God says, I must be Lord over your life. If you profess Jesus Christ as Lord, you will be saved, rescued, redeemed, made new. This is what God does. This is all God does. It's all he wants to do. It's all he's ever done from the beginning of time to the very last breath of the last person on this earth. God is destined to redeem you and rescue you and make you new. If you are here today and you have checked a box that says religion is my thing, God's like, I won't break the chains of religion off of you. I want to have a relationship with you that goes far beyond your grit, far beyond the impact you have right now. What I want to give you is impact in the eternal realm, over the earth. This is what God wants. So I'm going to ask that you would just close your eyes for one minute with me. You can fall asleep if you want to, because it's early. And I just ask that God would come into this space right now. That he would come into this moment, Lord. And I just know um, that there's some people in this room that have been gritting their way through. I mean, I think they might be mid-mountain, just barreling down, trying to scream with all their might. No fear, no fear. 
And yet, God, you are giving them an invitation right now that says, look, you don't need to do this on your own. You don't need to barrel down on your own. I want to come in and transform you so that as life is going, you have access to my power. When life comes in and it's overwhelming and the pain feels more than you can bear, I will give you supernatural comfort because of my grace. I will give you supernatural power because of my grace. This gift that I want to offer to you, God, there are so many in this world that would claim to be God-fearing, but they are not transformed. And it says in your scriptures that a supernatural act happens when you open our hearts. Would you open hearts this morning, God? They did not come here by accident. Oh, Lord, you chose them to come. You chose them to press past the kids being naughty this morning and, and not finding what to wear and the traffic, and I'm so tired. They pressed past it, God. They thought it was in their own grit, but you were calling them to you this morning. This is the power of God's transformation in your life being offered in this 